BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. As you probably expect, uh, we're going to talk about impeachment yeah, today. What a week. What a week. David, what, what are we talking about? I mean, that's that's the gist. <laughs> it's impeachment. We got Kate Regan in the house. How are you, Kate? Pretty exhausted, as I'm sure all our <laughs> listeners are, too. It was too. an intense three days. Very intense. And also joining us, special guest, Matt Shuham, a reporter in the New York office. What's up, Matt? Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. Before we get into everything, uh, let's take a quick second here, hear a word from our sponsor. Do you love to save a buck by skipping the coffee shop? Are you a do-it-yourselfer? A brew-it-yourselfer? So is Grady's Cold Brew. You asked and they delivered. Brew it yourself with Grady's New Orleans-style coarse coffee blend. Designed to work in any cold or hot coffee maker, one bag makes 24 servings of Grady's Cold Brew exactly the way you want it. Order online and receive 16 ounces of their famous blend of 100% Arabica beans and French chicory in a resealable pouch for long-lasting freshness. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com, promo code TPM, or order Grady's on Amazon.com for next day delivery. Yeah, so like if you really need... Like, you're like, dude, I need McGrady's yeah. now. You might go, like, right to Amazon. You know, most of the grocery stores and I guess even bodegas maybe near me sell Grady's in the, just yeah. in the, in the kind of over. refrigerator section. Yeah, so the little market near, near my and apartment. And if you want to learn what Arabica beans are, I think Grady's <laughs> could probably tell you. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, so let me just run through the, you know, the handful plus number of people we heard from this week just so everyone kind of can get their head around it. Starting Tuesday, we had... An aide to Vice President Mike Pence, Jennifer Williams. We had Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. He's a, you know, a director on the National Security Council. Then that same day, later on, we had um, Kurt Volker, who was the former special envoy to Ukraine. We had NSC official Tim Morrison, who took over the kind of Russia director job from Fiona Hill. Wednesday, our man Gordon Sondland was in the chair, kind of yucking it up. Uh, he was by himself for that morning session, if I'm not mistaken, yep, right? Yeah, solo. That's right. And then at, in the evening session on Wednesday, we had Laura Cooper. She's a Defense Department official. And David Hale, who's like the number three. who is And who is like like the tightest, straightest laced dude I have ever <laughs> seen. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Um, that was a bit of a shorter hearing Wednesday night because it was budding right up to the debate. So they skipped the kind of extended staff questions. And then to close out the week, Fiona Hill, who is uh, the former Russia and Eurasia director on the NSC, and David Holmes, who is a staffer in the, U- in the U.S. Embassy in Kiev, famously overheard Trump speaking with Gordon Sondland on the patio of this swanky restaurant in Kiev. Let me, let me ask you, do we, I'm trying to think, and we must know the answer to this. Of the two weeks, who didn't make the cut? Like who got who got a private deposition, right, and they're like, you know what, it just one. wasn't that cool, um, and no one like 
There are definitely some. No, definitely. There's definitely more people who got deposed. Yeah. I'm just wondering. That's like a total dignity loss for those people. <laughs> I, suppose they but I can't think of who. I mean, I it's so bad. Either, I can't even really. think who they are. I can't. They're either. such nobodies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We could check the list here. We got a lot of uh, da- oh, yeah. data in the back end okay. of the website. <laughs> So yeah, when you when you when you uh, give us it, because I'm trying to think. I mean, it's. I mean, I wonder if they're like, humiliated or if they're like, whew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it probably saves you a little money. Yeah, because, I mean, you like, don't have to have Jim Jordan screaming at you. There are like many pluses. <laughs> well, but I'm, but but seriously, I mean, those those uh, you know, we, we think of it as just a. I mean. Only Trump has a thing where he can just say like, "Oh, you beat my lawyer for free, cool." I mean, right. in True. every scandal up until you know, in in decades past, a lot. It's never a big deal for like the president because president's going to make a lot of money after he leaves office and you know write a book, whatever. But for the sort of the lower level people, it's a big deal. Those people, those people leave their jobs with hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal debts, and because of the ethics laws, the lawyer can't just say like, eh, "You don't have to pay me; it's cool." Because right. you can't, because they're a, a public official. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a, even not having to do the testimony probably save you like, c- could save you ten grand or something. Yeah. It's nuts. There's well, a lot maybe, of diplomats like Christopher Anderson. I think Catherine Croft. People that went behind closed doors but not in public. You're right. saying, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Catherine Croft. Uh, did Philip Reeker testify publicly? No, I, he did I, I not. I don't believe so. Yeah, the so, people yeah. I outlined were the ones this week. I guess last week, you know, there were a few other people too. But those, well, that was Taylor. Yeah, uh, Ambassador Taylor. George oh Kent. God, that feels George like a Kent, right? It ago. does. It does. <laughs> wait, wait. Was it only those? No, there was two days last week. Two there? days. Yeah. Wednesday um, and Friday. Maria Ivanovich. Oh right, right. Of course. Yeah, it really of course. Does. Like I've totally forgotten about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was. Wait. Did she, she have was on an f- afternoon? Or she was on Friday um, morning. I think solo. I want to say. And was there a, a matinee or what? It was? I don't think no, so. Not a matinee. No, I don't think. Yeah, I guess they only did the double headers this week yeah. on the jam. Through. My God, the four people in one day. Well, maybe we should start with Gordon Sondland, who's kind of the central character to the whole scheme. Our Tom Wamsgams mm-hmm. uh, actually came off much more, I guess, confident or jovial than Wamsgams did in his own uh, congressional hearing in succession. Yeah, well. He seemed to sort of relish the opportunity at times, right? He was okay. kind of. I thought he, he was saying, like, oh, I'm a proud part of the three amigos, or, um, you know. It sounds like something I would say when he was described as uh, saying loves that Zelensky your loves yeah. your ass. To yeah, Trump. he had like such ultimate rich man demeanor. Who was like, nah. <laughs> apparently he was wearing like a fifty-five thousand uh, dollar watch. Yeah, too. I, I saw, saw the saw Washington some... Examiner was like breaking <laughs> exclusive. It's like, yeah, big big rich guy energy. It's that's exactly that's what he, he had. Yeah, like yeah, it seemed like yeah. he was kind of like you know with his smirk the whole time was kind of like nah, this doesn't this doesn't touch me that much I'm gonna come out of this alright if anyone hasn't seen it you need to look up this iconic photo of Sondland looking directly into one of the uh, <laughs> photojournalist cameras kind of smizing sort of a half smirk uh, with you know a ton of photographers behind him snapping his photo it's kind of like a Norman Rockwell painting of our time yeah I I, I don't I I guess I had one thought that's maybe slightly different from that, and I, I could just be wrong. It's just you know my perceptions in the moment that you know he came in there and basically said I was following the president's orders the entire time. Everybody was in the loop. Mike Pompeo, yep, talked to him all the time. Vice, you know, Vice President Pence, we haven't really talked about. Yep, talked to him all the time. So he basically pulled like chained everybody to his body, right and. My sense, I mean, some of that is just, yeah, like I'm a really rich dude. And even 
in a case, because even these like smaller fish, you think about it, and you're like, man, it must be so fucking tense and stressful. I you're mean, up, yeah, literally millions and yeah, millions you're of people up are there watching. And them. like you, you know, you're getting these people saying, "Don't lie," or you know, all this kind of stuff. And he's up there, like, yeah, whatever. I got my <laughs> right, fifty thousand like, dollar watch. Those low level people have. You know, their livelihood's at stake to some right, degree. If they right. lose their jobs, if this is the career they've been building. But he is a hotel magnate who bought an ambassadorship. Like, he's going to land on his expensive shoes, I'm sure. Right. But I but I, I, at least thought that some of that confidence was, was kind of coming off that first, however long that part of the statement took, where he basically said, yep, everybody's coming with me if I'm going under the bus. So bring it. Yeah. That was my... Sense. What was your sense, Matt, of watching him? Uh, Definitely rich guy energy. There was another story this week about somebody who donated a million dollars to Trump's uh, inauguration who wanted the ambassadorship to the Bahamas, and the RNC asked him for $500,000, and he basically wrote about it in an email to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and it reminded me of that exact same energy. Like, well, yeah, maybe I can break the law, maybe I can do improper things, but come on, like, what are you really going to do to me? You know, so... But he did lose the ambassadorship, right? That that guy guy did because the committee reported it. Um, (laughs) And so it was sort of like a mini version of this whole thing. But there was also a sense that I got of like, well, there are certain things that other witnesses have have testified to that are undeniable at this point. And those are the type of things that Sondland was tying people to his own actions for. Right. But then there are other things that only he would know. And there was still a lot of, I don't recall, like I don't have my notes. The State Department is, has all the documents. Well, that, that's he definitely why, leaned that, on that. Yeah, that's why I thought he, everybody's like, oh, he threw everybody under the bus. He didn't want to throw anybody under the bus. Like I said, he just chained everybody to him. Right. And so everything he did was just like, whatever I did, everybody was on board with it. And so, and and blah. But whenever he came to like, oh, I talked to Trump, like, yeah, it was... Still kind of fuzzy on that, mm-hmm. what exactly right. Trump said. And and that, that one part that stood out was in response to a number of other people's accounts of conversations that he had with Trump or, you know, kind of things like that, that he, he said, you know, he was happy to say, like, I don't remember, but, like, if you say so, mm-hmm. I'm sure that's right. I have no reason to dispute it. But when, it came, when Biden came up mm. in, that, in that cafe conversation, I'm not sure he categorically denied it, but pretty close He's like, yep, pretty sure I'd never said that, mm-hmm. which obviously was a highly consequential fact in evidence. Um, and, and, and frankly, I, I was just struck by, you know, that conversation, that thing in the, in the, uh, in the cafe in Kiev, that, that that is the day after this call, you know, the, the big call, the July 25th call. And in that call, he's like, yeah, Biden, 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 please get me Biden, Biden. So the idea that, you know, they're talking all the time, Sondland and Trump, the idea that Sondland's still like, Biden? Oh, my God. Really? So so he was was keeping a lot of stuff tight. And and as as you said, he was um, anything, anything that he arguably could be the only witness to, right. he remained pretty tight and, and pretty protective. And I, I get the sense, based on the reactions from the White House and everything after that, that's why people are not piling on him mm-hmm. from the president's exactly. side. Well, yeah. Because he clearly still has a lot he could say. Right. He's very dangerous to them, I think. And, you know, his putting up that protective barrier of, I didn't get these documents, which you Democrats are also 
pissed about, you know, they really should have handed over these documents, but, you know, it's just little old me and my memory. Like, what am I <laughs> right. supposed to do? It just, it, I thought it was one of his strongest defenses because on the, I mean, what can you do? You can't be like, I know you remember. There's just, there's nothing mm-hmm. you can do about it. And it is, I mean, in a way it sort of ties back to that kind of demeanor of just being carefree and wealthy and not totally. really, um, under the gun, it's like, yeah, I didn't take notes. I didn't really memorialize that much. It's just sort of me and my, you know, uh, personality, basically. Right. Well, kind and of it's there. funny. There's a line in his opening statement that goes right to that, where he said something like, not a note taker, never have been, right. which is so <laughs> Trumpian of totally, the, like, yeah. well, that lawyer took notes, blah, 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 which is just in such stark contrast when you have these very career diplomats, you know, the, like the tailors, who seems like he writes down all the minutiae in his life being like, oh, well, yes, I have essentially a transcript of that conversation. I, mean, I guess it's, it's the difference between someone who has served in government right. for decades. You know, Comey obviously took detailed notes about his conversations with Trump, and Taylor seems like the same way. It seems like... Um, you know, David Holmes, the who is, you know, among the more low lower level officials who had who had testified, seemed like he had pretty mm-hmm. detailed recollections. You know, his opening statement was at least twice as long, if not longer, than Fiona Hill's. Yep. Um yeah, everyone else everyone who's been in government kinda has that. Well, there's definitely that, that there's definitely a feel to that of sort of like, I'm not a surf. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't take notes. Yeah. Because when you when you kind of saying things like that in all sorts of contexts of life it's kind of like a humble brag, like ah. Oh, yeah, I don't need to worry about I it. I don't. It's high. I don't can't can keep you know can't keep track of anything. <laughs> and you're like, because oh, I don't have to. Exactly. Because I'm really rich, and I pay other people to do that. You know, power just has. It's it's funny. I don't know why I just thought about this, but I thought about when, when I got to college, and I had never been. The, my first day of college was my first day on the East Coast. Right. I'd never been. Whatever. Okay. And you're all kind of thrown in there to this place, and there were a lot of, a lot of uh, kids where I went to school had gone to the you know the big prep schools in the Northeast, and those guys just kind of walked with a different thing, you know, kind of the rest of us were like, oh fuck, man. There's like thousands of students here and like... The buildings are so old and grand. And yeah, and like, I, am I going to make it? Am I going to like pull it off? And these guys, you know, kind of tossing their, mm-hmm. their you know, suit jacket over their, over their shoulders. It's just the different power has, a, has an ease to it. Which is funny too, I think in comparison to Holmes's account of that meal that they had in Kiev in the restaurant. Because, you know, he knew... Everything. He talked about how they ordered one bottle of wine and Sondland, split it four ways. Sondland ordered the wine, right? Which is right, like another right. kind of power move. In, well, in yeah. And then they said, the Holmes was saying that the beginning of their conversation was Sondland riffing about Mark, like hotel strategies. Marketing yeah. strategies, yeah. I, wish, I was just reading that and I was like, oh my God, this guy sounds unbearable. Can you imagine <laughs> just being a diplomat, you know, and you're out to lunch with this guy and he only went because Sondland basically slammed the door on his face in some meeting he should have been in. So he's like, I should come. You can brief me. And Sondland's like, yeah, yeah, of course. And then he's like, drinks all around. Like, <laughs> here's my hotel empire. I'm sure these poor, you know, officials were just like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, then, and then immediately afterwards says, oh, I'm going to call the president. Oh, yeah. Just no, <laughs> nothing about it. He loves your ass. <laughs> yeah. Well, he also had yeah. that line, which he, he came back to a few times. He's like, "I look, I know that it may seem like a big deal talking to the president right. or other heads of state, but this is like a daily thing for me. <laughs> right. So it's not that big a She's thing. She's like, you've been on the job for what? Like, 
a year and a half yeah, tops. And it's sort of like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's not quite as big a deal. But dude, that's why you fucking paid a million dollars to become a phony ambassador. Because it's clearly a real fucking deal to right. you. And it's a huge deal. So like, give me a break. Yeah. Right? Well, maybe we can talk about some of the other appearances this week too and we can come back to Sondland of course I'm just curious everyone's opinion you know for people our listeners our readers who you know couldn't be glued to the TV for kind of 9 to 13 hours a day <laughs> what what would you tell you know your friend your family members who are kind of just more casually aware of the hearings kind of what they should know about it. What was some of the big takeaways? Kind of just overall sense of things. Well, I think that's kind of an interesting question because we're at the point in the hearings where, you know, there's two very different takeaway buckets. You know, there's like, what new news did we learn from these? And what were the optics of this? And honestly, I I don't necessarily know that the content is even more important than the optics. But, you know, content-wise, there were definitely some kind of gasp moments, I think. Like one of the ones you think of immediately is when the Republican staff attorney was questioning Fiona Hill. And under the Republican questioning, you know, she ends up telling about Sondland's, something Sondland told her about how he's been briefing Trump and Pompeo and Mulvaney and Bolton. You know, who else do I have to brief? Do you remember what his setup question was exactly? I, I don't. Yeah. What uh, was it? it? The thing that was so funny is... Um, me and one of our managing editor were trying to figure out what was his, what was he trying to get out of her because he talked about the situation. He's like, yeah, and uh, it, was, it was pretty testy, right? Like uh, you got oh, right, you right. got somewhat upset, <laughs> which is like, are, what are you trying to paint her as like at, unstable or something? Because have you watched her testimony at all? No one's going to be like, oh yeah, she's a, she's a nut cat in that case, you know. But um, yeah, so she ended yeah, like up. You really lost your cool, didn't you? Right. Yeah. That was yeah, yeah. that was the question, and then she ends up just like implicating Trump and all of his top lieutenants, and very very closely, you know, being updated on this Ukrainian pressure campaign. And then you know, Devin Nunes immediately swoops in and he's like, "Back to the conspiracy theory." Right. Right. <laughs> you, should, you should tell our listeners kind of what her line, her kind of key line was. Right. She, she was saying that some, you know, she was trying to work on foreign policy, and he was. Oh, yeah. right. That he was running a domestic errand. Yeah. yeah. So she domestic political area. Right, yeah. right, yeah. yeah. So she Im- implicated all these top people and at the same time kind of eloquently and simply laid out the fact that there were two channels operating parallel, one which was the national foreign policy apparatus and one which was this skeevy back channel run by Sondland and Giuliani and the like. I, I was so struck, though, th- that in that, it-, it it's hard to, Im- I mean, she couldn't really have had that precisely set up because it was pretty late in the testimony, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. she didn't know that. Was, but the way it was like a kind of a symphony oh. in the way that it built where <laughs> yeah. she's like, you know, it. In first she, she kind of, she started by saying, well, I think he conflated these two meetings. Mm-hmm. This meeting was a year before. And then she sort of goes on about, well, you know, women are always right. getting told, you know, they're angry or kind of emotional. And then she kind of comes and then she kind of pulls back and says, in fact, I was angry. And you know what? I really am sorry because I was wrong. And then goes on to basically explain, Mm -hmm. I was wrong because I didn't understand that the president had assigned him to commit several crimes. And I was not aware. And I was kind of getting away in the way of the crimes. So (laughs) I'm very sorry. And but I mean, it was like layered on layered and layered and kind of built to this crescendo that was kind of amazing. It's funny you say that because, you know, I wrote about this moment. So I watched the clip a a bunch of times and it felt not rehearsed maybe, but it felt 
a little bit planned because it was just rhetorically really that, beautiful. That's my point. Yeah. It's kind of, it was so intricate yeah. that it's like it, it had to have been crystallizing in her mind if right. it wasn't planned. But the thing about it being planned is my sense How could least, she know he would ask well, that? Well, I mean, you could sort of, you could use a bunch of questions to kind of go there. But what struck me was it was pretty late in the testimony, mm-hmm. right? It, and was it was like based on his it was based on his recent testimony as well. So that was only the past day or two that she said based on oh, his right, testimony right, I realized right, I mean, right, right, she right, did right. sort of so Tierney and I read through her deposition when that was released and so this was hinted at a little bit when when Fiona Hill was deposed uh, and, and also the fact that she was going to be such a star witness because she spoke at length about a lot with a great deal of expertise, but she one of the 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 high points of her closed door deposition was that confrontation between her and Sondland, where she says, who put you in charge of Ukraine policy? And Sondland says, the president did. And then she said, you know, that took me aback. And this was her realizing after seeing all of Sondland's emails on Wednesday, I believe it was, that he was telling the truth. He really was at the center of Ukraine policy. So I think you're right that a lot of different venues could have gone to that remark, right, but this right. was the crystallization of both her But it was also sort of like, it, it, it was just so intricate and so many la- kind of sort of rhetorical layers of it because she was saying, yes, he was right, mm-hmm. but right that the president had assigned him to commit some crimes. And I didn't know that. So I was right. unfair to him. I That's was, on me. <laughs> you're right. I tried to get into the crime lane and I'm sorry. So it was just it was just kind of master. I remember I. Uh, like when I saw it live, I just tweeted like, wow, that's fucking amazing. Like, I, you know, something like that, because it was just like once I kind of took it all in, I just kind of couldn't believe it. Yeah, really, it really kind of sums up the whole thing in a way. Mm-hmm. And again, it seemed to be at least largely ad-libbed. Like, you know, just, it was it was quite something. And yeah. it's only like, I actually know this because I had to kind of cut stuff out on either side to get it into a, a video tweet. It's, right. The key part is about exactly... Uh, uh, two minutes and 10 seconds, yeah. two minutes and 20 seconds. Right, right. Like that. When did she leave the NSC? When did Fiona Hill step down from her position? On the 19th. Of, so uh, six, a week before right, okay. the call. Right, gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, she was impressive. I mean, overall, I think one other anecdote that came up that our listeners may or may not have seen that kind of just goes to, I don't know, some of her character, I guess, is that when she was a student back in the day, in England, I believe, like she was taking a test and one of her classmates lit one of her pigtails on fire and she snuffed out the flame, I guess, with her hand and finished the test. And she that came up, I guess, just in a brief kind of aside, Jackie Spear, one of the mm-hmm. Democrats on the committee asked her about it. And yeah, is that a true story? And she said, it is true. And I actually wasn't, you know, was uh, was interested in seeing that anecdote pop up. It was in some news reports kind of about her. it was in the her, Times. It was yeah, like a, a, a profile yesterday. In the her, her testimony. And she said, you know, it was rather unfortunate because one of the consequences of that episode was that my mother gave me a terrible bowl cut and I looked like Richard III and got some laugh lines. I don't know. She's very like, understated, but... Um, steely kind of no totally i mean she of all the witnesses i think became at least on our in our kind of like nerdy journalist political spheres you know an insta celebrity because you know the accent makes her comedic timing so dry and so restrained but also i mean her mastery of the material she was extremely articulate um and we kind of knew from her opening statement that she was not going to put up with the Nunez brand bullshit that he's been peddling every single day, you know, starting with 
do you know who Alexandra Chalupa is? And the witnesses are always just like, no, no, we have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's right. All right, all right council, take over. <laughs> yeah. Well, there were, it's funny that it happened, yet, there was, because Kate, you just made the point that, that after that thing where she kind of like, you know, decapitates the staff <laughs> council guy, that Nunes jumps in. He's like, oh, no, no, okay. Oh, let's, like, to kind of like, you know, break her, you know, kind of uh-huh. break the momentum or something like that. And it's kind of like, what was it? Wait, was it, uh, now I'm losing track. Which was the one? Was it Findman? There was one testimony where um, the majority stops and Schiff is saying, all right, minority. And, 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 and uh, Nunes is like, no, 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 dude, dude, no, I can't. Like no mas, no mas. I don't know if that's. I think that it was on. I think it was Wednesday evening. There was like an extra fifteen minutes or something, right? And he was, or Schiff was saying that the staff questioners could have an extra period, and he was saying, "Oh, does the chair think that there will be more of these extra magical minutes or something like that?" Right, but that was different. This was after someone's. This was after the the someone's testimony with the first round, and he went to Nunes, and they were. Oh, it was after Sondland. I think that I'm pretty sure that was it. It was after Sunland, and I think what it was is for whatever reason, they weren't prepared for what he said, and they needed to sort of regroup, which is sort of weird. And then they took a break or something. Yeah, yeah. it was just a five-minute break, but right. and that's where that's where there's there's that, you know, uh, GIF now where, where Steve Castor's like, oh. <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what, what can I do? Wasn't there I also mean, a moment when, sorry to interrupt. No, 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 it might be the same moment. Um, that I'm when thinking, yeah. Sondland was like, oh, I thought I was done. Like yeah. he was after the <laughs> This after is the bullshit. Round of questions, yeah. <laughs> he had to get back to Brussels. <laughs> See, that is another, that is kind of what you were talking about before, yeah. Kate. Mm-hmm. When imagine just like, dude, I got a flight. Yeah. And you're like, what are you talking about, dude? This is like the whole country's watching. Well, Schiff's reaction like, to that was so funny. He was like, yeah, we all have things to do, but uh, <laughs> he was like we'll not to, having it. Like we'll try to get you uh, out of here as soon as we can. Yeah, but kind of in that vein of what you were just saying, Josh, is there was another moment where Castor was like, you know, I'm going to try to finish this up quickly as a courtesy to you, right. and it's like mm. to Sondlin. Uh, I don't even remember oh, which okay. witness it was at this point, but it was one of the more kind of butt-kicking type witnesses and you were just like <laughs> no one thinks this is a courteous thing you yeah. know it is kind of amazing Sondland is just back in Brussels kind of like doing his thing like what is his day-to-day like now I mean that, that was another aspect of his testimony actually we, and we covered this based on several other witnesses actually Hills most of all the depositions was there is this image of him as a very sort of bumbling unprofessional speaking on, on insecure phone lines type of thing and you got the sense from this testimony and from his insistence on going back to Brussels that he doesn't really understand both the significance of this hearing, but also the deeper significance of his job at all. And so, yeah, it just it he doesn't it it added to that picture of him yeah. as someone that didn't really yeah, understand. Totally. How Bumbling is kind of right because there was a CNN. Uh, a little post that Best apparently part of the story. Sondland put his luggage in the wrong overhead compartment right. or something. And had to like, you know, it's just been like, it's like my whole day has been like this. Well, the thing about, you know, what is he doing now? I, that, that the key is, I mean, the EU, again, first of all, EU is not a country, right? Every, every country has an ambassador. So I'm sure it's, you know, sure it fits in somewhere, but it's not the hugest thing. But generally speaking, these donor ambassadors, they have a DCM. I mean, everybody has a DCM, but if it's a donor ambassador, they really rely, and that's- That's deputy chief of mission? Correct, and that's basically a professional who is kind of, you know, near the ambassador level, who knows what they're doing. And and so the, the donor person can 
take that person's lead and kind of like, you know, tell them what to do, basically. So it's the kind of thing where, you know, this is why this whole system, which is a bad system of donor ambassadors, can more or less work is that you've got someone there to kind of tell you what to do. It's not like you're there and like you're like, oh, no, I didn't do this thing. And now England's not our ally anymore. Right. Bummer. Right? <laughs> I wish I was more on top of this. Yeah. It is kind of interesting, though, just widening the lens a little bit. What we've discussed is like each day of the hearings, and I think part of the reason why it feels so long is because each day felt kind of like a episodic like it was each day was a different story or a different theme or a different flavor that kind of marks what happened you know like on the hill day it was all about you know how badass she was and that was the emerging story and Sondland had his smirky rich guy thing but also his pretty damning testimony and that was that and then you know on the Vindman day you had he's a soldier he's a patriot his credibility is being attacked he's in dress you know? uniform and exactly kind of had that, yeah that stoic kind of you know official, formal Right, to it. which is just, you know, and it brings up something we've discussed before, which is how are ordinary people who aren't steeped in this kind of thing, how are they tracking it? In And in, if you're not watching this as if to some degree it is like each day is a new episode of this recurring show, but there are central themes. Like, you know, if, if you're not totally, totally full of this kind of stuff, like I'm not sure that you would see that call between Sondland and Trump as being inappropriate or something or even different than what you've learned before i think josh you've brought up a good point is that we've kind of known the basic facts of this whole story since pretty early on i mean when the pretty much from when the call transcript or the memo of the call was released there's not i mean it's kind of filling in the gaps it's adding color to the story but it's been out there for a while i think in a way these hearings are Mm -hmm. just a way of trying to keep that keep the attention on it right you know more people cumulatively will kind of tune in and start to understand the kind of the texture of it. But I think the broad strokes have been there. It's just, I guess it's a matter of people. Well, it's the details. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The sort of the, 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 you know, you get the sort of the 30,000 foot view at the very beginning. But the key thing is that, you know, the normal progression of scandals is you find out what the lower level people did. And the question is, can you can the investigators kind of drill down and get it back to the primary actor, which in this case would be the president or kind of whoever the center of the scandal is, and that's always the sort of the the drama and tension of any political scandal. But this one is bizarre <laughs> because at the it's like an inverted scandal. Like the first thing we heard is sure it's not a transcript, but it's pretty close, and all sort of all the evidence suggests maybe a word or two here. At the very beginning, we heard the transcript. We heard what the president did himself, and he comes out and says, and it's awesome. Of course I did it. Perfect Because call. that's what I should do. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, and so it's this kind of funny thing where we're sort of like, we, we found out at the, you know, it's one of these like, you know, you know, Pulp Fiction or something was one of the first sort of like, you know, blockbuster type movies where you have, you know, non-chronology and stuff, <laughs> where you've got this thing like at the very beginning, we know P- Trump's involved. So so we're kind of finding out now whether it was like, was Sondland involved? Like, right. <laughs> it's just bizarre, right? Instead so of it being, does it go all the way to the top? It's, it's how does far it go does all it the way to the bottom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so so. Who other people who we never heard of before were involved in this? Yeah, and so that the, the whole it 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 is. A lot of this um, really comes down to, from the Republican perspective, just kind of going over stuff a million times until you start losing kind of 
perspective on things because a lot in the testimony was sort of like, oh, you got hearsay, you thought what the president said, or you heard what someone heard what the president said. And you're like, dude, we literally all heard what the president said at the very beginning. (laughs) So like we established that at at the front end. It sort of reminds me of... um, the, the case that led to the L.A. riots, the trial over the beating of Rodney King, it's sort of a notorious case where you've got this, you know, uh, at the time, God, this must have been almost 30 years ago now. At the time, the fact that, there, you know, there's someone in, in, in the, someone in his apartment with a video, old style video camera, who just happened to see this, not like today, where, every, you know, there's sort of an iPhone video of everything. I'm sure most of, most people who are listening to this have seen it. You've got this picture of the cops with their batons, like wailing on this dude and just beating the shit out of this dude. And what they were able to do at trial was literally slow it down and kind of like, all right, let's look at this baton whack. Are we really sure that he, and they, they kind of broke it down so much that they got an acquittal. And, and Obviously, a lot other things went into that acquittal, but I think one of the key things was that you just sort of break it up so much that you 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 lose kind of. All right, let's step back and let let's remember that this was like nine cops wailing on one defenseless guy right. with their batons. I do think that this so this I think does indicate the sort of Trumpiness of this particular scandal, which was that the revelations we have about this are from the White House because they that is their strategy of admitting to what they did and then trying to convince everybody that it's actually not impeachable. Um, you know, inviting Russia to assist him in the 2016 elections. Or like uh, the Don Jr. releasing his emails about the Trump Tower. Exactly. Meeting. And so there's this pattern of, uh, well, you know, what you're seeing is not the truth or what, the, what people are telling you. Um, is not actually true. And I, I think that kind of uh, fits into this. And there, we, we've covered this before of the shifting goalposts and of Trump being the first person to say in a phone call with Gordon Sondland, there is no quid pro quo. And Gordon Sondland's reaction to that was, who said anything about a quid pro quo? Like, what, what are you talking about? And it seems like as soon as the White House and Trump specifically realized he was in hot water, which was actually pretty early on, as soon as they found out about this whistleblower report um, going to the, the White House counsel, uh, they went into damage control mode. And for Trump, that is what you're seeing is not actually what you're seeing. Right. Well, Do the, your crimes right out in the open. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, it is. It's, it's funny because I don't know if you guys have looked at this, but there was um, this. I, I don't I'm not familiar with what her podcast is, but there's um, I, I guess she's a journalist, someone who has a kind of a Trump podcast uh, who was looking through all the testimony and pointed out that that the call, which all the testimony was sort of based on, all right, the call is September 9th, you know, kind of happens in the inter, you know, between the interplay and these texts and everything. But she pointed out, and I, I, I couldn't quite remember if I remembered this, but there's a call on the 7th that is actually, um, God, what is it? It's also with Sondland, and Sondland tells other people about it, and in that call... He's also talking about a quid pro quo, but in that one, and it's very kind of like, were there two calls? Was 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 Sunlin lying about it? Was he confusing the two calls? But at least on its face, if you just listen to the, you know, put all the different testimonies together, in in the call on September seventh, he basically says no quid pro quo, no pro, quid pro quo, but he should want to go forward and start the investigation, and I sure hope he does. And then two days later. 
he's he's like no quid pro quo. He's like mad, you know, saying it. I, it's like a tongue twister for me, so I can't say it as fast <laughs> as he can. And then I want nothing. And that is the same day that that inspector general went up to the hill and said, there's a report. I'm not allowed to tell you what it says, but I need to tell you there's a report. So my sense has been that he, you know, he gets through to him if, if that call really happened on the 9th. And Trump, even in the last 48 hours, has learned they're really in trouble. It's not just there's a whistleblower report, but this one guy has gone rogue, basically, and told Congress about it. So they know everything is, is blowing up. And one of the most fascinating things to me about the sort of the dramatic structure of this is that in, on the Ukraine side, they're getting right down to it, right? It's, they've, they're, they're up to the one yard line. Uh, you know, Zelensky's agreed. They're, you know, kind of everything is kind of tied. The Freed Zakaria interview is scheduled, yeah, it's right? right. They finally have, they're finally getting it to happen. But uh, in Washington, the wheels are coming off. And that, so that call, if it happened on September 9th, is sort of like this critical one because uh, Sondland is there kind of like, you know, chest bump, right? You know, kind of like we're doing it. And Trump is like, I know nothing. I want nothing. Right. You know, go, leave, bye. You never heard of me. I never heard of you. But right. kind of what you guys, what you and Matt and Josh were just saying is interesting to me because a lot of the consternation now seems to be what do Democrats do now? Do you probe every corner? You know, do you overturn every pebble to find all the evidence you can? Or do you rush through it quickly to not confuse people or to not lose the momentum of what we've learned so far, you know, you hear a lot that Democrats are planning to get this wrapped up by Christmas. And I've seen some people react to that being like, are you joking? There are so many very major actors. I mean, Giuliani bursts into your brain who haven't spoken on this yet. And, you know, when you have investigations of this ilk in the past, you know, they've gone years, not months. So I don't know. It seems to be there's kind of a political crossroads here while they're trying to figure out what to do. Well, I guess also trying not to step on the primaries because things are obviously going to heat up a lot in that arena, especially after the holidays. Yeah, There's also, I mean, I, I think these are being overplayed, but there's, there have been a few polls over the last three or four days that show some very slight reduction of support for impeachment. Now, these are like, you know, I think it topped in the sort of the aggregates, uh, you know, that like 538 does it sort of topped at 48. And now it's at like 45.5. Right. Okay. So these are pretty, but still arcing down a little as opposed mm -hmm. to building. Um, and I think that is playing in to both sides thinking about this, that, um, again, I don't think it's like people are dramatically changing their minds, but I think it probably does tell you that people are kind of getting locked in. Right. It's not like each each day it goes on. More Republicans are saying, oh, I, I, this is too much for me. I can't right. I can't do it. Um, so it, you're right. It's the a, only it's thing a that, that makes me hesitate on the polling is we've only really heard from two people, Volcker and Sondland, that were actually involved in carrying this out. And so it, it becomes, a, and you, you mentioned that reader email we got about um, the Senate trial and how Chief Justice Roberts could compel testimony. And so I think if we were to start hearing from people like Giuliani or Parnas and Fruman who've been subpoenaed mm -hmm. or Pompeo or Perry or any of these people, it would, it would be a lot more interesting. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And that's, I'm, I feel kind of ambivalent, like, 
I, I feel a lot of misgivings. If the, are you really going to shut this down when you haven't talked to really any of the principals who are right. actually doing this? I mean, that's. Mm-hmm. I mean, you haven't talked to Giuliani. You haven't talked to Mulvaney. You haven't talked to yeah. Bolton. I mean, obviously, you're not going to talk to Trump. That's sort of the president never actually. That's that's just sort of a given. But all these sort of like Goodfella types mm-hmm. in Ukraine and stuff, and Parnas, and this Parnas guy clearly wants to talk. He's like, I'm not going to absolutely and so positive. Bolton, right? Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, well, he wants to sell his. But copies of his book. It Whatever the motivation, it seems yeah. to be that he's willing. Well, I think, and 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 it's a funny thing because the I think they are right to the extent that the evidence that he committed what I think is obviously an impeachable offense and a, and a grave abuse of power. The evidence is just overwhelming. Right. Not least of which is that he admits it. Right. Um, on the other hand. Clearly, it seems pretty clear, Rudy Giuliani, probably on the advice of Paul Manafort, goes over to Ukraine and hooks up with the crookedest people there are. And and basically kind of like, do you know, you know, do you know Hillary should go to jail? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so and and they've got these like kind of business deals and, and, and they're they're working with like this and that crooked oligarch. So. What the president, what we know, the president did is like more than enough, but like there's a lot of sleaze that I think is not really clear to people, and I can see that, as you said, Matt. I mean, that really, there's clearly a lot of really sleazy stuff that, that just hasn't even been heard yet. It's all this stuff about the interagency right. and stuff. Right? I mean, and there is some degree of. I mean, can you imagine the drama if they get these people to testify? If it's someone of the caliber of the Secretary of State, you know, that just that does kick things up a significant notch. And I guess the only thing standing in their way there is that these are people who are defying the subpoenas, right? So they have to take it to court. And it would take a long time, you know, it would get appealed. I I guess that's my question, which I don't have a sense for. Would it? I mean, you're always like legal stuff takes a long time, but it's like, yeah, kind of when it's like not that important to people. But I think even it's just sort of also a matter of logistics, right? I mean, it's scheduling hearings when there are other cases in the mix too, right? I, th- I mean, unless I'm wrong, but I think the legal part. I mean, logically, th- both sides should be able to say, "Hey, this is you know, we know it normally takes a few months, but you guys need to decide now." Mm-hmm. Like ev- this is like a could not be a a more momentous national thing. You can't drag this out for six months. You need to kind of. You know, we'll do our arguments this week. You give us a decision right. next week. I haven't talked to anybody who really thinks that's how it would work. They um, think the Republicans would stonewall. Uh, well, yes, it's it's in their interest to stonewall. Right. But he, and even that, but even the thing about Bolton. I mean, that's really it's hard to say that's any different from what it would be with Pompeo mm-hmm. and that uh, 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 district court. Yeah, right. That, that the, the oral arguments for the Kupperman case, Bolton's deputy are in like December. Yeah. And that, and, December and, 13th and that, or and that date was set in, I Couple think late, maybe late October yeah. or very early November. Yeah. So even that, that, that something like, you know, couldn't be more timely, right? It's urgent. The judge, and that was the, district, I think the district judge in right. D.C. Right. basically said, okay, I got time for you in like seven <laughs> weeks. Yeah. Right? So, and then you go to the appellate level. Right. I don't know. I guess it just seems strange to me that in a legal system that turns on the prominence of the people involved, that this couldn't be quickly ushered in if a judge had a mind to do so. Well, I think that's the, if a judge had a mind to do so yeah. is the is the key. But it's also... The, they don't like being told what to do kind of... 
yeah, I mean that guy, that that judge in the, in that in that case is, I think, a Bush appointee. Yeah, and it certainly seemed to me like, you know, like I know you're busy, but come on, right? right? I mean, come on. I think he's even like a, has senior status, so like he's actually basically like retired. Mm. You know, just kind of doing it for fun, kind of. So yeah, yeah. I, I, but I could not agree with you. It seems it seems totally obvious that it is a case where if either or both sides said this is a national crisis and it is an impeachment of president is a national crisis by definition we can't wait you got to put aside you know whatever whatever other cases you're doing we just need this decide. but i don't get the sense that's what it would the people would that happen. could really make that happen are senate republicans and there does not seem to be an appetite for uh, calling witnesses in from senate republicans you know Right. Although, did you, I don't know if you saw, you, I think you just said, that, that email that I published. Well, right. I mean, yeah. if there were a trial and John Roberts took a, uh, control of everything, maybe so. But I don't think Mitch McConnell or, or Lindsey oh, Graham or anything. Of course not. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely not. So. Absolutely not. Although, although under the Senate rules, and this is this email right. that I'm referring to, under the Senate has an existing rules for impeachment. and And they would have to... They could vote to change them, but they would need 51 votes to change it. So it's not really, and and it would seem funny and whatever. So that's probably the rules that they'll operate under. And it's not just the rules. The Constitution actually says that the, that the uh, Chief Justice Supreme Court is basically the judge who presides over the trial. And those rules basically say any questions of evidence, subpoenas, they're up to him. And... The Senate, by majority vote, if he rules like, yes, you know, Nick, Mick Mulvaney has to testify, a majority of the Senate can overrule him. Right. But that's a that's a tough position to be in. If he says, yep, bring up Mulvaney, and they're like, no, 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 Republican chief justice. That's a step too far. We yeah. shall not be hearing from Mick Mulvaney. The person who is within arm's length of the president at all times. Y- yeah. I mean, it's – it's uh, so that really does throw – it's 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 a funny thing. It's yeah, a lot of a lot of um, I have improv- to say, unpredictable things. Right, and in the same vein, I don't know. Maybe it's just naivete, but I am a little bit surprised that. I mean, it seems that no Republicans have been moved at all. Even the Will Hurds of the Congress are still yeah, even like the, even the people on their way out. Uh, yeah, the people who you would think don't have anything to lose but their dignity or their place in history at this point are still parroting the party line if anything it's moved the reverse like kind of early on Mitt was out there kind of like you know with like uh you know republican virtue signaling right kind of oh this is bad yeah i don't like it Uh i don't like it at all some of them yesterday he was at the white house meeting with trump yeah I mean, some of them have said that we're going to remain impartial jurors and all this stuff. So maybe there and there was that one congressman from Florida whose name I forget, who was the ambassador to the Vatican, um, who said, bring everybody in for interviews. Mm. But he was really the only one I heard. Well, wait, didn't, and didn't he like retire a day later? He, like, he announced literally. his retirement. Uh, <laughs> it was like two days later. A day right? later. But among retirees, you know, he's right. the only yeah. one even. Well, that was a funny thing because Heard is supposed to be like, oh, you know, kind of like. The voice of reason. There's no room in the GOP for a straight shooter like Will Heard. <laughs> Yeah. And he's up there kind of like just basically saying like, yeah, it was a little it was improper. Yeah, it was, wasn't great. But... Yeah, he's also saying like, I saw no evidence of a bribe or heard no evidence of a yeah. bribe or something like that. Well, we're coming to the end of our time today. Any any closing thoughts uh, we should leave our listeners with? Anything they you know should think about as they're digesting this week's 
buffet of news. <laughs> I mean, so you mentioned earlier, like, how do we explain this to people who are not following it? And the way I've been doing that is the president had this irregular channel that he used to pressure Ukraine. And this whole impeachment inquiry, inquiry has been how did he convey these messages of pressure to Ukraine? And there are a lot of people involved. There are also a lot of people excluded, like Fiona Hill and others. And so I think the witnesses that really matter are the ones that can convey, here, how, here, here is how the president's order was conveyed to Ukraine. And like we said earlier, those people like Mick Mulvaney and Rudy Giuliani, we still haven't heard from. So, so many of these questions remain unanswered, but that central drive of this impeachment inquiry is, is still unanswered. That's a really good way to capture I it. I think that's that really perfect. Is, yeah, that, all, all, all that stuff. The one thing I would add, and it's sort of like obvious throughout, but I haven't seen a lot of people quite make the point that it is, it's frankly typical for how, uh, uh, you know, crime bosses work, like, you know, like El Chapo or something like that. He doesn't call up like the regional boss in, in Sonora and say, all right, bring me, you know, 5,500 pounds of cocaine. <laughs> you have these, these other people, right? So, and, and it's, it is very telling that it, at all points, he's like, just, Talk to Rudy. Mm -hmm. Rudy will tell you what mm -hmm. to do. And so it's always this, that's basically how in, 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 uh, in various uh, corrupt enterprises, they have, you know, call a bag man, which, and that's, this is a little different there, but that is you have one guy who he's going to go out and collect, you know, the, the bribes and stuff like that, or the kind of the protection money. And out of that money, he'll do more bribes. So, you know, me, the crime boss, I can say, Pah. I didn't pay anything. Just he's kind of an independent contractor, right? So always creating this distance. And that is what, it's just textbook, right? And you get someone like Sondland who's kind of dumb or certainly doesn't, doesn't understand anything about diplomacy and is like really eager. And you're sort of like, oh, let's get Sondland to do it, right? It's kind of like Mikey with the cereal. You know, he'll do anything for Trump. <laughs> it's just so textbook and it's, it's, it's weird. Yeah. All right. Okay, well, the main thrust that's gotten us here at TPM through these days of marathon hearings, <laughs> Grady's, always in the fridge, always in hand. Remember, you can get it online at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Uh, for listeners of the Josh Marshall podcast, you get 20% Huh? Yeah, good deal. Yeah, Ooh, it's a good deal. Look at that, twenty yeah. percent. I know we've needed uh, we've needed the Grady's support this week. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. To get us through. All right, all right. Thanks, everyone. See you cool, next week. Later. Thanks.